Hey, Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrillow, and I have a great guest lined up for you today. Now, this podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we're going to be diving deeply into topics at that intersection. Now, sometimes we're going to be interviewing thought leaders, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask a favor. It won't take a minute and it would make a huge difference to us. Would you please go to iTunes or whatever app you're listening to and subscribe and leave a rating and review? It helps us to share our message of inspirational change with as many people as we can, and it helps our guests get their messages out to more people. Thank you. So let me ask you, are you ready to be inspired? Because our guest on the podcast this week is Michelle Maldonado. Now, Michelle is the founder and CEO of Lucenzia, a human potential, emotional intelligence, and mindful business transformation firm that develops leaders and evolves their organizations while creating sustainable well-being and resilience with positive performance impact. Now, two months ago, she co-authored with her family an open letter to humanity, a resource guide called A Bridge to Better for Healing Self and Society. As she felt called to do something, as her family, like many of us, has been experiencing a full range of emotions related to the social and racial injustices that have been present for centuries, but culminated again most recently with the killing of Breonna Taylor, Armored Arbery and George Floyd in the US. And rather than sit in sadness and anger, she chose to turn to hope, promise and wise action, creating a resource guide to help us all to meaningfully connect with one another, fuel profound change and create positive impact for a better world. I found it to be a very wise and compassionate conversation starter. So I'm thrilled that Michelle agreed to stop by today to talk in a little more detail. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, I can't tell you. I'm, I'm so thrilled you said yes, Michelle, because there's so much for us to talk about in this space, especially right now. But before we get to it, let me just ask you, you know, we've heard your professional bio, but I'd love to know a little bit more about the human behind the bio. Would you mind sharing? Oh, I'd love to. So, so yeah, I, um, you mentioned, uh, you referenced the United States. I am um, from Massachusetts, from New England, and I grew up in a small beach town and uh, spent a lot of time at the water. And so for those of you who have connection to water, you know what that's like to grow up around a large body of water and how that really nurtures and nourishes you as you grow. And so I found myself very fortunate to be in that kind of environment as a child and, and through my teen years. <clears throat> and then um, I spent some time, which was a real change um, moment for me when I was a, in elementary school between second and third grade. And I spent a summer with a dear aunt, a great aunt of mine, and she introduced me to 
the Lakota Sioux and Cherokee nations and their communities and traditions. And she also introduced me to meditation. And I grew up in a very Catholic family in New England and I had no concept of any of this that she was introducing me to. And the simple word she used was, would you like to come sit quietly with me? And as she did that, she placed her hands on my head and said, quiet here. And she moved her hands down to my heart and said, so you can be here. So this was like the launching point for me to connect with that wisdom and compassion within. I wouldn't have had, I didn't have the language back then. But as I grew and continued that practice and it became more and more age appropriate, it got longer, it got deeper. And it was really powerful and it really influenced the way I decided uh, to choose responses and show up in the world. And, um, and then I spent some time, of course, uh, <clears throat> in college and I thought that I wanted to be an ambassador and to really bring and heal communities and conflicts. So starting in, in, um, <laughs> in, 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 elementary and high school, I started taking foreign languages. My family is of Cape Verdean descent. And um, so we spoke Portuguese at home, but then I learned Spanish and then I took some Russian, I took some Mandarin, I took some Italian and then got to college and was like, oh, somebody said, you must love politics. And I was like, oh no, I hate politics. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to shift. And then I moved into looking at business, but taking it to the international level. And uh, I got to explore a lot of things and eventually received a law degree, earned a law degree and looked at the business side of law. And I'm an activist and I can say that really proudly now in my 50s because uh, I do have siblings in my family who are the kinds of activists that you see in the street. They protest, they march, they assemble. And I was the activist in organizations. And I believe that activism has to take place across the diaspora. So I am an activist and have always been uh, a change agent and transformation agent. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit about me. Wow. My goodness. I didn't know that, that one person could speak so many languages. That's quite something. Oh, I cannot. I cannot. <laughs> I just learned them. And then the only thing I have now are Spanish, English, and a little bit of Portuguese. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really <clears throat> felt like I was with you when you were talking, you know, about about sitting down in meditation for the first time and that beautiful question would you like to come sit quietly with me because that for me i mean how amazing to have that insight and that practice at such a young age that you know because i didn't find it till later in my life really and um although i'd done some transcendental meditation and different things at college nothing had really stuck until well it was my late 20s i would say so um i love that you know you were kind of held and encouraged in that in the depth of life really from an from an early age and when you think back on that how has that impacted you do you think Oh, I think it was one of the greatest gifts that I was mm-hmm. given. Yeah. My great aunt is now 95. <clears throat> and when she was in her late 80s, I asked her why she didn't tell me that it was called meditation. Right. Because she didn't use that language. And it wasn't until I was 18 that I learned that what I was doing all that time was called meditation. Right. And her response was, 
you didn't need the language. You needed to connect and interact with your peers in the world using your own language to connect with them. And the gift that came out of all of that is that the way that I do my work, it allows me to use everyday language that meets people where they're at. Yeah. So that is a through line of the gift that she gave me. And it also allows me to be able to use a discerning mind as opposed to a judgmental mind and to stay in curiosity as I mm. make wise choice and action. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And you also said something else that really kind of stuck out for me, which was you, you confidently calling yourself an activist. And I want to pick up on this because this is something we talk about in our Sacred Change Makers community because we actually have people in there. And in fact, for many years, I was one of them that didn't want to label myself as an activist for some reason that has some negative baggage for me. Right. So I, I, I knew that I didn't want to be that. But yet I was similarly to you. I was an activist inside of organizations. I always have been. I've always been quite disruptive with my work and shifting people into different areas and different beliefs and different behavior patterns. And so I, I love the way that you had the insight to say, well, yeah, I'm an activist. And there are so many across, you know, the whole range of, of what's available as an activist and what we can do. And I wonder if you just speak to that a little more for us, because I know there are people in our community that do see themselves as activists and own it. There are others that are kind of in the middle. And then there are some that are like, no, I don't think of myself as an activist at all. <laughs> I really appreciate the question because uh, what's really interesting about that is it, what it highlights is how we narrowly define and place ourselves into categories and boxes. Yeah. And if we don't fit that definition, then, then we don't fit that label. And I'm not a big fan of labels because I yeah. think we need to be fluid in how we move about the world. But for me, it was a declaration of owning the spirit that is within me that is a champion for elevation and transformation. And so activists, for me, I was looking at it as only the people who protest in the streets. And I knew that I was protesting as strongly and as powerfully from where I sat and across my spheres of influence. And so anybody who is an activist will tell you, who is an activist in the traditional sense, is marches in the streets, will tell you, we need people in government, we need people in law, we need the laws to change, policies to change, we need all these things to change. It can't happen unless you also have activists in those institutions. Mm. And if you are an activist also doing your, the good, deep, inner, sustainable self-work, that then allows us collectively to change the systems. Mm. And I, I, I'm just loving this conversation. I'm loving how you've connected activism to, and I'm going to paraphrase you now, so please tell me if I've got this wrong, to kind of the sacred, to the spirit, to the spirituality. It's almost as though you've linked the two of them together because you said elevation and transformation. So, I mean, are they connected, do you feel? 
Absolutely. One hundred percent. I I really move through the world intuitively guided and um, feeling a deep connection to the the oneness that we all are. And, you know, there are a couple of big myths and lies that we're told as we grow through the world. One is that there's just me. There's this individual self-focused um, experience, this self. And but self is not existing in a vacuum. We are all so connected. And what happens to one of us happens to all of us. There is a ripple effect that's undeniable. Mm. And when I, you know, um, when I think about the legacy of, of change makers um, and look at that community, we come from all walks of life. Mm. We come from people who are um, who are energy workers and healers, we lawyers and um, heads of organizations, moms and dads, and everything in between. And what we know is that everything is energy. And that's not just an opinion, that's a scientific fact. Some energy is denser than others. Our bodies are very dense, closely you know, touching particles versus air molecules, which are very sort of separated and loose, and so we don't really see it. And, but we know it's all there. And so <clears throat> because we're all connected, I believe that uh, when we have enough of us focused and placing our intention and attention on doing good in the world, it elevates us all. And it helps to not just change some pieces of systems and ecosystems, but actually create a new paradigm, a new reality that transforms us so that we can create new. I think we're all called to that. I think the question is, do we answer the call? Mm, yes. And I am with you there. I totally, I think we are all called. And I actually think we have multiple callings as well mm -hmm. through our lives. So yes, absolutely. How we choose to answer our call, I think, defines us in the yeah. world. And, you know, I, I really do want to speak to you about a bridge to better. Um, but before I do, one of the most unusual things for me was that you didn't just write this by yourself. You wrote this with your family. And I'd love for you to take us back to that, that place in your life where the three of you made the decision that this was something you were going to do. I mean, what was it that you were talking about? What were you feeling? What was happening that really inspired this incredible resource guide? Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> it is, it's really interesting because the, the idea first came to me in meditation. Um, and I heard this kind of thought voice. It simply said open letter to humanity. And, but I could feel this loveliness in my body around it. And I kind of smiled with my eyes closed, let it kind of dissipate and continued my meditation and didn't thought nothing more of it. Until about a couple of days later, I heard it again. But the second time I heard it, it was like thunder booming through my mm. body. It, and so much so that my eyes popped open as if I was looking to see who said that. <laughs> right. And and so I walk in my house after meditation. I sit down with my son and my husband. And I'm telling them I had this, this thought about this open letter to humanity. And uh, my husband is nodding like, yeah, all in. And then my son, he just yells out loud. He's like, let's do it. 
<laughs> and I and then I knew that it was anchored, like we were going to do this. And I think the reason it resonated so much for each of us is one is I think it is ours to do. But the other thing is, prior to this point, we were really running the spectrum of emotions here in our country after um, the deaths and of, of so many and continuing to have this struggle of racial and social justice in our nation. And um, so we were swinging from anguish and sadness to anger to hope. We were just all over the place. And there came a point where my husband and I said, we can't sit in anger. We have got to do something, number one. And two, we have to teach our son that no matter what is happening around him, he always can do something. There's always something he can do. We didn't want him thinking he was uh, helpless in all of this turmoil. So when this idea sort of was discussed, I think everybody was all in because we knew it would also help us and um, move through this. Um, now, what was interesting was how in the world we could, at the time, initially it was just gonna be an open letter. Uh, we hadn't even really considered the resource guide part of it. And it was this challenge of how do we get all of our views and voices into this single letter so it seemed cohesive and in our family, we have three generations. My husband's a boomer, I'm a Gen Xer, and my son is a Gen Zer. He's Bye. 16. And so there were just different experiences. My husband, who is uh, Puerto Rican, his, his experience, but he's also a dark complexioned Puerto Rican. So in our country, unless people hear him speak Spanish, they automatically assume because of his skin color, he's African American and treat him accordingly. My son, 16 years old, um, um, you know, the son of both of us, and, and trying to figure out his way as a sophomore rising junior in high school, how does he have this conversation with people? How does he release what's inside? And myself, as the mother and wife of two Black males, and, and, and sitting with my own fear around their safety. Yeah. And um, for years, just sort of my son goes to school or he walks down the street. I'm, I'm, there is a flicker in my mind. It's like, is he going to be okay? Be careful. And there's always be careful when you leave the door. So when we started talking, my husband, his portion of the letter was around the talk. And a lot of people, a lot of African Americans have the talk with their, their children, particularly their black sons. And the talk is about how the world perceives black males and that they have to be extra diligent and careful about how they move through situations that seem like they shouldn't be something dangerous, but could be for them. It's a tough conversation. It's one we wish we didn't have to have, but we have to have it. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about how the talk is so important and that got its way into the letter. It's time for all of us to have the talk mm. and then to roll up our sleeves and get to work and for my son his voice in the letter was around why is everybody coming to us to ask us what they should do why aren't they taking the responsibility to learn themselves and to unlearn the myths misperceptions and lies that we've been told throughout history why do people expect us to educate them and so that became the it's our job to own our learning. 
we must own it for ourselves. Because if we sit back as passive receivers in this transformation journey, it doesn't anchor, it doesn't take root. We must own it, we must do it, we must practice it, and then we must apply it. And then the opening, which was more my voice, was the recognition that we're all hurting. You know, I know you're hurting, we're hurting too. But we've got to do something about it. We can't just sit in pain and anguish. We have to move forward. We have to come together and move forward together. And at that point, we realized that the letter wasn't enough. That the next question would obviously be, so what do I do? Okay, that's great. What do I do? And so what we said was we want to give people a good place to start. So if anybody who has read the resource guide portion of the letter, they'll see on the, ref, on the resources pages, it says, not enough, but a good place to start. Yes, yes, definitely. And I mean, it all, it comes together as, um, for me anyway, my experience with it was, it was, a, it was a gentle, compassionate way for me to find what I needed in this space. Because, you know, with everything that's happening in our context right now, I was feeling, you know, I'm from England originally. Um, and it's like, oh gosh, like I, 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 I've known about white privilege for a while, but never really thought of myself like labeled in that way. And it's interesting because quite honestly, as I've, I've read a number of the resources and, and watched a few videos and different things, and I'm, I'm learning all the time and deepening my understanding. I have to tell you, I had no sense of this world at all. It was almost like no information because in England, we, well, growing up, I, it was almost like I, we don't have the same history that's here in America. And therefore I don't think we have the same like racism. I I'm sure it's there. I know it's there anyway, because people tell me it is. So I know it's there. It's everywhere, but it's so endemic that I had just never had my awareness raised to it at all. And I find that quite shocking that I can, you know, like I'm postgraduate level, been through master's degrees, you know, and I've worked with some of the top leaders in the world and teams. And I think of myself as very open and very aware. And yet here I was in this time right now thinking, wow, like I had no idea, none. <laughs> yes. And you know, um, I appreciate you saying that. Here's the thing. It's like we walk around every day in air mm. and we don't notice it. Yeah. Unless you have problems breathing, then you notice it. Yeah. Right. So we so how do you notice that which you walk through with ease? Mm. How do you notice that it's a struggle for other people? How do you notice that what you experience is is an outcome of a systemic benefit. It's not easy to identify. And once it's identified, it's also very hard. There's a range of emotions that often I, you know, I was talking with some folks today about it and, and there was feelings of shame and guilt mm. yeah. and other things. But here's what I offer for that. It's, it's okay. Whatever arises, see if you can just meet it and be okay that it's there, but knowing that's not where we're going to stay. Yeah. And also appreciating that we inherited what we have today. 
And because we inherited a broken system, we were operating within it as best we could. And what is different now is an awakening. It is an awakening that is so profound and expansive now, unlike any other time, that uh, more people are taking action. But it is so difficult to do the first part, which is the self part, looking at self, understanding our role, our contribution to what is happening, and then finding our strength, our courage to be able to navigate differently within this, to use our voices differently, to call things out differently. Now, I'll give you an example. When I uh, practiced law years ago, uh, one of the first law firms that I joined, uh, it was actually my second law firm I joined out of law school, I was the first black attorney at that firm. It was an old Virginia firm, and it was clear that the partners were used to telling racist jokes and receptions. My welcome reception was held a few days after I had arrived, and my mentor told a racist joke. And you could tell everybody was used to that being the way that people interacted. And then all of a sudden they looked at me and everybody kind of took a sip like, uh, and looked away like, I'm not sure what to do here. Cat's out of the bag. And so I, I, I was in my 20s back then and a lot more, I had a different approach. I may have talked to him differently <laughs> in my older <laughs> years, but um, the punchline in his joke was, he opened the door, it was this big black guy, and he starts cracking up, laughing. And so I looked at him, I said, I'm not sure I understand, was the joke that he was big or that he was black? <laughs> and um, he kind of hemmed and hawed, and it, you know, he was embarrassed, but I was embarrassed, I was insulted. And in those moments, there were people in that firm that constantly confused me for a secretary or for janitor janitorial staff. And, and, and I was like, but I'm wearing a suit and I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm in this office. And so these are the ways that my white counterparts never had to deal with any of that or people calling me by other black women's names. They never would confuse other people. But if there were two black women, say example, they might call me the other person's name. So it's all these little things or mm. feeling like, you know, you have to work a little bit harder. So I, I think when we think about privilege, the one thing I always want to make clear is it has nothing to do with you being a good person, you having fought and worked hard for everything you have. No one's dismissing that. Um, but what it means is that whatever you experienced, received, earned, accomplished, wasn't hindered due to your skin color, wasn't challenged due to your skin color. And that's where the privilege comes in. And the, the, it's privilege in it of itself to not even know that it exists or to yeah. be like, oh, I don't even want to hear about that stuff. I, I just, I'm tired of hearing about that race stuff. That's a privilege like, yeah. because people who are disadvantaged by it never get to say, oh, I'm tired. I'm just, I'm just not going to deal with it. <laughs> right. Know? Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I, I, that is what I'm learning. <laughs> Right yeah. Now. Let me say, I, you know, I've probably still got my training wheels on, but I felt such shame 
And mm -hmm. the, the shocking realization, I was in a conversation with a really good friend of mine who is a, a professor at a university and um, it's so interesting. He, he grew up in the projects and, uh, but he, he lived uh, in a, in a, mainly white community and was given the privilege of going to a white school and in that school he had some great teachers that pushed him into honors classes and in many ways defined his life and he realized that you know so he's now a professor at a major university and he said one of the things you need to understand, Jane, is sometimes people will open the door for me with really, and he means this metaphorically, so he was promoted um, over, so he, he worked in a consultancy prior to becoming a professor at this prestigious university. And he said, you know, it's really interesting. I got promoted for all the good work that I'd done in this consulting firm, but then I was manager of six white male consultants he said and and he's 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 gay and he's he's black and he said even though i'd been promoted they were pissed that i'd been promoted over them because i was black he said and then even though i'd got the promotion which was great i wasn't welcome in the house so they opened the door for me mm -hmm. but then when i got in there there was so much that was stacked against me that I couldn't survive in the post because of the systemic and the inherent systemic way that that kind of people had learned through their own white culture of what was right and what was wrong. And he was clearly wrong <laughs> in that position. And so that to me tells us we actually have a lot of complexity that we do need to unpack. And you know, it's, it's, it starts with self. I absolutely get that. And I, I love that you're, you know, we all need to do our own inner work here about what we will continue to tolerate or not. Right. And for me, there's a lot I'm now looking to definitely not tolerate because I feel a, a line's been put in the sand for me and I'm learning, but I love how in a bridge to better your next section after self was family. Yes. Because that to me just like that feels so true. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me a bit about the role the family plays in yes. the journey we're on? Yeah, so I mean the these four sections in the guide, I would call them transformation quadrants because mm -hmm. they are how we move through the world. This mm -hmm. is just how we move through the world. And in moving into the family dynamic, that quadrant that's where we first get our taste of what people are good or bad, right or wrong, uh, what our values are, how we treat people, and even the least among us, right? How do we treat others? We learn that first in family. And when that family unit is tainted with um, either, you know, just sort of toxic behavior, and that can be a number of things, uh, we take all that in as children, mm. and then we we steep and we marinate in it, and then we go out into the world. And then the world, full of other people having come out of their families, starts to co-create and weave a fabric of how we start to treat one another in other places. 
we see it you know in school so if you're looking at the family unit we may see it with kids how they start to interact with people at school um, <clears throat> community organizations uh, parents who then go off to work and we take all of that all of who we are and we bring it into the workplace and then we create and fuel and enable systems that perpetuate these inequalities yeah and that alone for me i think is a really profound insight in how we kind of co-create ourselves, if you like and learn how to be within the world and it just seems to me that 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 insight alone can help all of us no matter you know what lives we're creating for ourselves but we can really start to change the conversation and one of the things that i'm interested in about this time and i'd love your sense of it michelle is this this idea that right now where we are in the world with all of the disruption that's going on from the pandemic to the economic crisis to black lives matter we've had me too fairly recently all these inequalities it's almost like the pause that we've been on is is shining a light for us or kind of starting to close down the conversations that were pre-pandemic and opening up new conversations for the future and i just wondered if that if you had a sense of that at all, or if it feels like something else for you right now. I definitely think I, you know, I hear a lot about people saying, I can't wait to go back to, to normal. And <laughs> I don't believe there's any returning, returning to normal. We are not the same. Yeah. And so many things have happened since pre-COVID, since pre-Ahmad, um, all, all of that, yes. that what we're doing is creating a new reality. And we have, we, it's, we're at an intersection and an inflection point to choose differently this time because yeah. we've been here before. So every, we are always going, there's always gonna be these cycles where as humanity, we're giving opportunities to choose differently. And I think we're at one of those times again. And it feels very palpable for me and to many people I know that there, because there are so many people taking action and speaking out, and we're already seeing the manifestation of it. We're seeing laws change. We're seeing names of sports teams that have been offensive to people for decades start to be changed. We're seeing flying of flags that have uh, instilled fear and intimidation in people start to be mm. pulled back from government and public spaces. and. So there are, there are many things I think that are happening now that are matching action with intention and feelings. Whereas before we had a lot of intention and feeling, but there wasn't follow on action that was sustainable. Now this is, we are at the tip of the iceberg. This is not a fast, a quick, fast and a hurry right. <laughs> uh, thing. We, we need to put the good running shoes on. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. And we have to, um be aware that it's it is going to get tougher before it gets easier because if we really are looking at ourselves and shifting some things within ourselves 
dismantling some beliefs, dismantling the adverse impact of our privilege, dismantling uh, the systems of inequity, uh, those are painful. And I always encourage people to, the, the, if you look at the four quadrants of a bridge to better, the most yeah. time it needs to be spent with self. And you just yeah. need to be patient with that and be kind to yourself and be compassionate with yourself. As you cultivate those for yourself, you'll be able to extend that for others, which is also going to be critically important for us to do this work collectively. Yeah. I think that's so true. And I loved it. I think you said, don't try and boil the ocean. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think I was like, that is so refreshing because, you know, when, when we spoke before um, recording, um, you know, one of the things that struck me was you were saying that you hadn't been in, you know, even though you're a consultant and worked, uh, you know, in, in many organizations worldwide that you you didn't do diversity and inclusion work. That wasn't what you kind of took a stand for, although you're taking a stand for change. And I can't help but think it's so great that you understand human change and potential from a different space. And now you can bring that wisdom into this conversation because it's that awareness that, you know, this isn't going to happen overnight, right? And we need all of us in the conversation and we need us to take our own responsibility like you say for the for our own learning and our own behaviors and our own intentions moving forward that it just seems that you have the skills and the capabilities needed to actually help guide people in this space so I, I'm wondering, because I know you've had a lot of attention since the guide, like in your, when you think about your life now, is there a, a pre, like publishing the guide, a bridge to better and a post? What, what's going to change for you in this? <laughs> well, I will say the first, so thank you for, for, for all of that kindness and generosity. But I will, I will also say that what has happened since us sharing it is it is really called on me to be diligent about doing my own work yeah. um, because it's very easy to get pulled in different directions yeah. and to, and I'm human. There are things that are going to make me feel angry and feel yeah. sad and feel hopeless and, but also feel inspired and feel deeply connected and motivated. And I am um, feeling even more determined to stay the course and stay in the right sort of current, if you will, to yeah. be able to be of the highest service. And I also think that this work that many of us do, you do, that I do, that other people do, we may not be what is typically labeled diversity, equity, and inclusion mm -hmm. consultants. Um, I've also, I've actually tended to avoid that terminology um, because it looks at tactics this is my humble yeah. opinion and i appreciate all the work but the outcome we want is belonging and unity and i see even people bringing in the word community for diversity belonging community but in community you can have a sense of not belonging and not unity so we want belonging and unity to be at the basis for what we're creating mm -hmm. and it's very important for us to do that and when we're doing our inner work there is no way, at least not in my experience, there is no way that these things don't come up. If I'm teaching or facilitating or training or coaching on, on these pieces of self, 
all of these other things that we're looking at and talking about today, they come to the surface. The question is, do we shine the light on them or do we put them back in the shadow? And so I think right now, the pre and post, if you uh, as you asked, is really being um, being a light myself, you know, looking at myself, but also shining the light for others, being a way shower, and having uh, intense humility and confidence, and courage, and persistence to be able to continue this work because it is hard work, but it is so worth it. There's a um, a store, it's called the running store, uh, where you get very nice sneakers for, for runners. And they have a slogan on their shirt that says, I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm telling you it's going to be worth it. And that's how I feel about this work. Yeah. And that's exactly how I feel about my work at Sacred Changemakers. That's, I knew, but it's, it's interesting. And I also want to ask you this as well, which is, for me, there was no doubt in my mind, this was a calling. It was like calling me forth. It was almost like, and I remember sitting and talking to my husband about, like, am I really going to do sacred change makers? Like I've been an executive global international coach and consultant for decades. Like, am I really going to come out <laughs> with this? <laughs> and, um, and I, I remember thinking in my head as I was talking to him, I was trying to work out if I was going to do it or not, but I wasn't really. I knew I was going to do it. It was inevitable. It was a calling. I couldn't not do it. Yes. And I wonder if, I mean, do you relate to this as a calling to you? This is, yes, it is a calling for me. And, yeah. but it's a continuation of the work I've always done, moving it into its next iteration and expression. I still do the work I do, but this is a piece that really is a methodology, a tool that people can use to do their, to, to start the journey or continue the journey of their own work and beyond. And I was, I remember years ago, I met um, the CEO of this investing company and we were talking and he was telling me how he felt like his company was his calling. And we had the same conversation about a job versus a calling. And I will say that if any of your listeners are thinking, I don't know, am I in a job, a career, or am I answering a calling? The way you know the difference is by how it feels in your body. Can you shake it? <laughs> if you can't shake it, and when you imagine yourself doing it, that it feels like ease and flow, in your body, you know that's the direction of your calling. And it may just simply be what's next for you, not the final destination, which is I think what yeah. often can scare people if they think that the thing they're feeling they're called to do next means that's forever. Right. And it rarely is. It all There's always more and it always unfolds to a higher, fuller um, expression that is divinely and uniquely meant for you to fill in the world. So let me ask you this, because I've already got a sense of from what you've already talked about today so openly, but um, for me, follow, following my calling is just that. It's more about following than it is about leading in a way. It's so interesting. And the two go hand in hand now in a way that they never have before. 
I feel like I'm being led. <laughs> do you? <laughs> oh, yes, I, I do. And, and sometimes I have to sit, you know, in meditation and say, okay, what next? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm not quite certain. Um, but you do raise a really good point um, that we, we actually are simultaneously leaders and followers, mm. teachers and students. And we must, it's imperative that we must hold that within ourselves because it's when we stay starkly and entrenched in one side or the other that we miss the full potential of how we are to be and move through the world. And like you, I'm not interested, uh, I'm not interested to be the sage on the stage. Mm. What I'm interested in is being the guide on the side right with you and, and you being mine because I'm constantly learning. And I think that interaction is so pivotal to our our growth connection and transformation. We're going to learn from one another so that we can do this together. None yeah. of us, there's no one person that can do this. This yeah. is meant, this is an all hands on deck <laughs> effort. <laughs> right. And, you know, the thing you said before, this, this is a, the outcome is belonging and unity yeah. really opens my eyes to, it almost puts a different energy around the conversation for me when you say that. And I go straight to, so I, I have a body of work called resonance and it's really mm. about different levels of consciousness. And as you said that, I noticed that belonging for me in my models of the maps of the world is down at the very, the ground of being, if you like, right down at the bottom. It's very physical. It's, you know, I belong here. And almost like you don't even have to ask the question. You just know, you feel it in your bones, the belonging. And up at the top is unity. Because for me, that's almost like a, a sacred consciousness that we are all interconnected through the invisible spaces. And that, as you say in your, your guide, what happens to one of us happens to all of us. And I just wondered, to me then, in other maps of the world, I can imagine that's like heaven and earth together. Mm. It's like the bridge between the spiritual and the physical mm. as well. And I just wondered if you had any sense of that or if yeah. that doesn't even land. <laughs> oh, no, it definitely lands. I do feel that. Um, in fact, our family, there's three of us. Yeah. And had we had a daughter, her name would have been Trinity. So we have Trey and Trinity, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but we just have Trey and, um, and my, our son, a lot of times when we have these conversations, when he would say, well, I don't know, what are we here to do? And I would tell him, my husband and I would tell him, we are here to bring heaven to earth. Oh. And however <laughs> that looks through us is our gift to the world and that back to us. So I, I totally agree that we start with creating and cultivating that sense of belonging because until we have that, there's no trust, there's no sense of safety, right? and we can't move forward. Mm. And it almost presupposes that word belonging to me that like, if you belong, we don't have to have a conversation about equality anymore now because... Mm -hmm. There is none. There's no inequalities. If we all belonged and felt like we belonged, then of course 
there's so much more that becomes possible for us. And it just feels like a deepening of, you know, some of the other words that are around like right, right now, like, you know, inequality and social justice and human diversity and difference and all these things. But for me, that belonging in unity takes me straight to the core, the heart of the matter. And while we have people that don't feel like they belong, we're always going to have inequalities. Always are. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that. And so thank you for giving me that insight because I find that really, really helpful. And I do want to ask you, like, where, where are you headed with, with all of this? And I'm kind of tapping into here, like, what is your vision, Michelle, for a better world? What's mm-hmm. your hope, your intentions for the future? Wow. So <laughs> I have so much that I wish for, for all of us, for humanity, for creation, because um, there's so much beauty within us and around us. And my hope for humanity is that we, we reconcile our fear. Most of what we experience, whether it's hatred or violence and anger or having to feel like we, in order for us to win, everybody has to lose, it's based in fear. Mm. And I write about this, how fear is like a shapeshifter. You know, we don't always, we don't always know that it's fear because it may come masquerading as something else, like manipulation or control mm. or, or whatever, any of the, the ills that we see happening. But at the root, there's fear that is sitting in all of us and based around a seed belief that may or may not be true. And that seed belief can be anything <laughs> that, that forms and in, in, informs how we're moving through the world. But we can't ignore the context in which we are living and the centuries of events that have created the context for today. So there's some reconciling that needs to be done. Mm. My wish also is that people move out of shame and guilt and anger and accept what is. And when I use the word accept, I know that can make people feel a little uncomfortable. Accepting doesn't mean that you're saying something was right Mm. or fair or that it should have happened. This level of equanimity and acceptance is saying, this is what we have. This is what is present. Now, what do we do with it? And what am I going to do with it? And so my my wish and hope is that we can all move in that direction. And I think it's going to take some time. I think I will not see the fruition of that in my lifetime, but I'll see great strides forward in my Mm -hmm. lifetime. Already have. Yeah. And then I guess, you know, for me, um, in the, in this work, I think, you know, what I'm sensing into is that, you know, the old me, the sort of traditional professional me is like, okay, what's the strategy? What's the timeline? What's the horizon? What are the milestones? What's the marketing mess? I'm not doing any of that. Mm. It doesn't feel appropriate. So I'm 
I'm intuiting my way through this. And what I notice is that each time as something opens up, I can see what's next, what's time for, what it's time for. And in this current experience, what I'm sensing is sharing and holding spaces where this work can be done. So I may do some courses around it in addition to the series that we have going on and certainly some writings on it because, you know, our transformation happens privately as well as publicly. So there are a number of ways that all of us can help ourselves and others on this journey. And I, I always encourage people, if you feel that you have something to say, write it, record it, share it, because people in their private moments will listen to that until they get the courage to be able to do it publicly. Mm. And the final thing around that is that we all have to have patience, not only with what's happening and the pace at, at which change is happening or transformation is happening, but we also have, a, have to have some grace and compassion for one another. And that part is hard because people are tired and they want to be recognized as whole and complete and equal now. Thank you. Gosh, <laughs> there's so much in what you just said there that feels so wise, so thoughtful and so profound um, in many ways, because I love the way when you speak, Michelle, you talk to, you talk in ordinary language, like you said earlier, about some very profound, challenging issues but the way you present them like it's like I believe you I, I know we can do this <laughs> let's get on yes. with it kind of thing and, and it can. just we can and it just feels like a an opening in a very gentle way it feels like an invitation yes what it feels like yes it feels like that, an invitation mm. that is my intention that, that because you know when we go back to the example of me learning meditation, it was an, in, it was a kind and gentle invitation. Yeah. When we created the open letter, it was an invitation. When we create the resources, it's an invitation. And when you feel welcome, you want to accept the invitation. Yes, I totally get that. I do. So I do want to ask you just one final question. And you know, I've just got so much to process from our conversation, but it's been lovely and so insightful for me. But I do want to ask you, you know, if there's something that you'd want to share with our listeners, something that we haven't got to, what might it be? I think this is a time as difficult as it is. I've described it as being challenging, inspiring, and transformational times. And if there's one thing that I would really want for people to take away from this is not just a sense of personal responsibility and agency, but also to look for the good and to look for the light because it's always there and it's very easy and challenging times to only see the bad. Mm -hmm. And most of us, no matter what part of the world you're living in, but particularly in the Western parts of the world, the news media often will only sensationalize the bad things, the things that are heart-wrenching, but they don't show the good. 
and it's always there. So as you navigate these challenging terrains, remember to also look for the good and spend time being in the good as well. Michelle, thank you so much um, for investing your time and energy with us today. I have truly enjoyed every minute of our conversation and I know our listeners will have learned so much from you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a delight to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all of the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And our growing community of changemakers are actually our sponsors who help us to keep doing our work in the world. We're a network of people committed to making the world a better place. We support each other to grow personally and professionally, and together we are making a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals all visible on our website. So if you're interested, I invite you to take a look and get free access to our popular program, Awaken the Changemaker Within. It's time, time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.